Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. I'm Aaron, and this is Brian. Hello, hey, how are you? And welcome to episode four of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. We've got a great show for you this week. Coming up today, we have the news, some lame excuses about why it's been a few weeks, and then Nick Weaver. Nick is a V-specialist with EMC, a coding ninja, and all-around great guy. Let's get started with the news. Okay, Aaron, there's been a couple of interesting sort of trends going on in the news. We're not going to report necessarily specific stories, but there's been a couple of interesting trends. You know, the first one that we're seeing is this sort of back and forth of, of companies building data centers. So you've got, you know, HP made an announcement uh, last week, you know, around their, their cloud computing strategy, of which, you know, one of them was they're going to be building data centers and hosting sort of cloud services out of their data centers. You've got Dell announcing that they're going to build 10 data centers around the world to uh, host data center or cloud, secure cloud, trusted cloud services for customers. And then going in the other direction, so you had some enterprise companies or traditional enterprise companies, hardware companies building data centers. And then you've got more thought of as a traditional cloud computing company. Twitter made a big announcement this week that they're actually moving from using somebody else's services, somebody else's infrastructure, to opening up and, and rolling over to their own data center. So you know, sort of some interesting trends there in terms of should I build, should I use somebody else's? It's it's interesting trend. What's what's your take on this stuff? For me, probably one of the biggest things is the uh, the idea of there is no clear picture with yeah, this, right? Definitely, you, you've got some potential outsourcing opportunities with some of the big vendors. You've got some potential, you know, hardware and sell you some products and some orchestration strategies. You, you've got the, the the field of dreams mentality of you know build it and they will come kind of deal and and then you've got Twitter who let's face facts they've needed a big data center for years <laughs> so I couldn't be happier as a as a regular Twitter Twitter user to actually have them move to a new data center and actually not take downtime yeah you know, how freaking cool is that <laughs> I, I know yeah that was very very cool the way they talked about it it's uh, you know hopefully this becomes the end of fail whale you know I, I was thinking about this and I was like. You know, there's got to be some some sort of trend within this stuff, and and my initial thought was, okay, well, you see somebody like Twitter who is desperately trying to figure out a monetization model and moving towards ads and all the different stuff they're doing, whether people like it or not. So my my gut reaction was, okay, maybe what this is 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 if IT really is your core business, right? Like somebody like Twitter, maybe maybe the move is about control and controlling your data center and having a better feel, better feel for it. And then the whole Netflix thing jumped up in my face where you've got Netflix who, you know, fundamentally now, especially with streaming, is essentially IT is core to their business and they, they make big public statements about moving to AWS. So even that sort of trend doesn't hold water. You know, I think I think we're gonna have to keep keep our eye on this stuff and see where it's going. The other I agree. the other the other sort of big trend that we saw or or starting to see in the news this last week or week or two is uh, more announcements from people getting into the cloud management space. So you've got you've got Nimbula, and then you've also got OpenStack making you know more and more announcements. OpenStack making announcement about wanting to do on-site, on-premise types of offerings, and and they did some made some announcements. You've got Nimbula who is making an announcement in a launch that they're calling their cloud operating system, which again gets into sort of naming things. You had VMware, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, calling uh, vSphere the cloud operating system. So, you know, I think the management space is going to start getting more and more crowded. 
you know whether or not these guys lead, whether or not uh, OpenStack with their open approach leads is is yet to be seen. But the cloud management space is definitely going to get more and more crowded. Now I'll just kind of throw this in here is. Part of our, our why it's been a couple weeks here. This is the lame excuses section. It was actually you were you were out at Cloud Connect. And, That's and right. So, it's my fault. So, yeah. So no. So one week was yours. One week was mine. I, I completely admit it. I had I had travel that I had to go take care of, and we tried to do the show and couldn't. But uh, so tell us a little bit about Cloud Connect and what you saw out there. What are the trends going on? So Cloud Connect's an interesting event. It was out in uh, out in Santa Clara, out in Silicon Valley. I mean, there, there's still probably three big things that I saw come out of Cloud Connect. One is there's there's very much a distinct divide between the, the, the private guys and, and sort of the evangelist around private cloud and the, the public guys. And at an event like Cloud Connect, I think the public guys were, were probably louder than the than the private guys, although... <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. I'll, judging by Twitter, that's, that's definitely... Yeah, judging by Twitter, although the, the, some of the private sessions were very, very well, well attended. So you've got people... You know, the biggest thing for me was at some of the sort of the the roundtable things and the things after hours, you would see kind of the Clouderati folks going back and forth, kind of the religious arguments. And then you would see these CIOs and and people that actually were running networks or, or, you know, trying to figure out how to make transitions looking very, very confused. And so I I think, you know, the the one thing that bugs me a little bit, and, and Christian Riley mentioned in our show, the last one, he said, you know, we may be causing some trouble being so violently religious about, you know, so should something be called private? Should it be called public? Should should we have such a divide? Or, you know, do we, do we really look at things as, you know, cloud is opening up a lot of opportunities and, and we're holding it back because we're, we're putting so many definitions on it. So that was one thing that was that was really front and center. But more importantly, the other things that were that were sort of interesting was you had just a just a huge number of people in the cloud management space, right? We just talked about Nimble and OpenStack, but you had Abiquo and Clupia and a, a slew of others, you know, cloud.com. And I mean, there was probably 25, 30 people that are trying to be cloud management elements or cloud management companies or cloud management services. So that space is really, really crowded. I don't know if that's good for the industry because we'll see some consolidation or if it's going to you know, be a lot of confusion for a while because the, the challenge there is, a lot of those guys say, I do everything, and I can play in every market and every market segment. And, and I don't know that people are really, really clear as to whether the, the, the hype meets the actual functionality. And then the other thing that was a big discussion point, and, and this sort of leads into the, the interview that we're going to do next, is there was more and more discussion about this concept called DevOps. And have you, have you ever heard of DevOps? You talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Until recently... Not really, right? Because it's not a concept that if you're a traditional desktop server storage virtualization guy, right? The the concept of DevOps, it, I wouldn't say it's a foreign concept, but it's not something you run into on a daily basis with right. some of my background. Right, and that was the thing that jumped out at me was the thing you hear from from the public guys more and more, right? And and I think there's a lot that can be taken from, you know, what goes on in sort of the, the public clouds that maybe can be adopted toward for private clouds, if you will, around best practices. So f- forget about cost or ownership, but best practices was this idea that, that the developers are driving this. And in a lot of cases, the developers or the application guys were sort of rebuilding, rewriting their applications to be more operations friendly, or they were sort of running some of the operation stuff. And so it got me thinking, you know, 
just like you mentioned, it's not a concept that's really familiar to a lot of folks that, that live in the infrastructure space, whether it's virtualization or storage or network. And so maybe what we should do is, is have somebody on that's got some, some actual experience in this, but doesn't come from a application-specific background, but, but maybe comes from an infrastructure background. And so the reason we, we grabbed Nick Weaver, who a lot of folks know as a vSpecialist, does some really, really cool stuff uh, on his blog and as, as EMC projects, but before that... You know, Nick was running an IT organization for you know for a large uh, company down in Texas, and he's written about this before about you know what it what it's like to be an infrastructure guy, but to have to work much more closely with the apps teams, with the development teams, and how those two things are sort of adjusting themselves. So I thought it'd be sort of interesting to have Nick on for our listeners that come from the infrastructure side, somewhat like you and I, to sort of see where this world's going. So interesting trend. I think we're very much early into this thing, but let's, let's see where this goes. I think it'll be an interesting discussion with Nick. Okay, we're going we're gonna to welcome our guest here on Episode 4. Today we've got Nick Weaver, Senior V Specialist with EMC. Nick, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good. Glad to have you on. Where are you at this morning? I'm actually in a hotel room up here in North Carolina, with my brand new USB headset just for this podcast. Okay, cool. Yeah, we were hanging out uh, yesterday at the uh, the Vero Madness event, uh, which was a lot of fun. About four or 500 people learning about cloud and storage and networking and servers and all sorts of cool stuff. A lot of folks know Nick. Uh, Nick's a friend of the show. But the reason we were bringing Nick on today is when I was out at the Cloud Connect event last week out in San Jose, one of the really big areas that was that people were talking about and that was going on was this idea, concept that people are calling DevOps which is really the idea that, you know, in the past you had development groups and application groups would sort of build technology, build their applications in a vacuum. They didn't care about what was going on in in the network. They didn't care what was going on about operations-wise. And we're starting to see more and more companies and and development groups starting to adopt this idea where operations and development are starting to work together a little bit. And I grabbed Nick because Nick's got some experience with this. So before he was working at EMC, you were were running operations for a a mid to large size uh, IT environment. Talk a little bit about this. You, you've got some background in this. Talk a little bit about you know how your sort of tool set, your your skill set, was able to kind of wrap your head around this concept and why it was valuable for you guys. It was really interesting because when I was doing this, I never even heard of the term DevOps. It was really what happened was we had a, a company that had a real shift in in kind of IT strategy. We changed CIOs, and we had a new CIO come in and. He really was a big believer in the extreme programming and the agile methodologies for development, which is really a pure development kind of style process. And so as part of that, he was flipping all the IT departments over to this new agile style to try to you know, get their performance up, try to, get to go to market quicker with some of the technology they're wanting to release. And as part of that also, he was, he was trying to influence the infrastructure and the operations departments to kind of adopt the same methodology. And there actually came a point in time where – he kind of put the ultimatum down and said, listen, you guys are going to have to change the way you guys operate so you work better with development with the rest of IT because all the rest of IT is going to an agile methodology, is going to this kind of extreme programming style. And as an operations center, you should do the same thing. So what, what, so what did that actually mean? So you were running, you were basically running operations, you were running network and servers and storage and so forth. What did that mean for you guys in terms of both like skill sets and, and sort of just process and terminology you had to use? What's the, what's the evolution of that look like for that, for that type of group, infrastructure group? 
I would say that it's probably going to be a little bit different for every group because you always have the, kind of the history of uh, in an operations shop of, of how you've done things. Right. And you can have different silos. I, I was lucky in a way in that I got promoted to a, a manager position, and I had kind of been a generalist on the team, so I, I kind of played in all the different areas, storage, networking, servers, virtualization was something I brought into the company. And because of that, I had a, had a unique relationship across the team as an infrastructure manager. And so what we did was is we, we looked at, right off the bat, just adopting the Agile methodology process called Scrum. So okay. Scrum is a way of taking unique tasks and really allowing a team to kind of be assigned and, and pull tasks in a certain way that allows them to be very, very self-controlled. So instead of having a real draconian manager or project manager that kind of divvies out tasks and checks things, you have what's called a Scrum Master. And it's really the focus, without getting all the details of Scrum, and I'm a big fan of it, the focus of it is that it's very team-driven. Okay. The team is, is innovating themselves. The team is monitoring their progress. It's, it, you have a lot of internal discussions in the team. You actually have a, a feedback loop where at the end of every sprint, when a sprint is the units of work, Inside of a scrum, at the end of a sprint, you actually have the team uh, feedback what went good, what went bad, what can be improved next sprint, how can we get better. And so for an operations shop, you never really think in that small of an increment. So we, what we had needed to do was change the way we looked at things because we would always planned things in like three to six to nine month windows of a project, right? Okay, so we're yep. going to release a new application and we'd have prep for some infrastructure and some operations around that. And so we would plan out six to nine months as a real broad project. And we used like a project manager with Waterfall to kind of manage that process. But it was a real kind of large block. And with Scrum, what you do is you have a team take these large projects and, and break – it's like breaking a rock. You break the rock into smaller rocks and smaller rocks and smaller rocks. Yep. And then you, you process through these units in consumable little sprints. It's very different for an infrastructure operations team. And without diving into the complexity of, of why, you know, being a – without selling Scrum in itself, what was really fascinating for an infrastructure department was – you, in an infrastructure shop, you tend to have your, your champion guys who do the projects, your real kind of leading edge guys, and you tend yep. to have the, the guys behind them that clean up and, and manage stuff behind that. So you got your hot shots, and you got your guys who don't get much glory. And we had a real great example of that. And then because of, of the way the projects work in infrastructure, you don't have a whole lot of communication between the development shops and what they're doing in the infrastructure shop because they're doing things two different ways. And so what we discovered when we went to Scrum was, number one, the guys that weren't the leading edge of projects, all of a sudden were becoming much more effective and much more satisfied with their work because they were contributing in so many different levels. Where one guy couldn't necessarily build a whole inter, you know, network core for a new data center by himself, he could take on individual tasks that were smaller with assistance from the lead guys and contribute to a project he would have never touched before by taking these big infrastructure project tasks and breaking them up. So that was the one benefit from an infrastructure perspective, right? And we, we ended up, the leading guys ended up becoming more mentors than actually doing a lot of the work themselves anymore. And then from a development perspective, what we realized is Scrum was big about, you have different Scrum teams. And a Scrum team is really aligned to a product owner and to like kind, of a, kind of a business goal. And what we discovered is we really kind of would loan members of the teams, different development teams aligned to a business goal for a percentage of time. And when they were part of that team, they were able to operate because they were used to the process within that team even though the rest of that team can be 100% developers or a mixture of database and business intelligence guys and developers, you can participate in a team without having your manager be directly involved and without having a project infrastructure project manager. It was really fascinating. So what we ended up doing was getting a lot of cross-training 
So a lot of our infrastructure team started learning more about the development processes yep. and vice versa because our guys were involved in the scrum process and involved in the design of the sprints. We, our, our guys were also having a lot more influence in, in communicating with the development teams when they broke their projects apart. A good example would be you know, development team was wanting to release a new application service and part of that was releasing some applications on a certain web farm. And so in, in the scrum, they would break that, those tasks <clears> apart. Our infrastructure guys, because they were in the room, were able to bring up things like, well, you can't do that, but you can do this. And it was a real cool little feedback loop where we we started creating a lot of in- new relationships across teams that we didn't have before. Gotcha. And and a lot of that was driven. So, you know, the interesting thing about that is you're basically saying we created a new set of processes, but they were driven. You basically had to have pretty strong leadership to say, look, guys, we're going to we've got part of the organization that's going to start going in a little bit different direction. I mean, you're you're going to ask the operations guys to start doing it differently. What, how did you guys sort of transition through that through that change, right? I mean, you, you obviously you've got a leader who's driving some stuff, but but you've got some people sort of natural tendencies to to go look. This is this is my little domain. Was it? I mean, sort of breaking things down into those small areas. Is that? Did you find that being one of the key, or what were the key things to get guys to buy into it and and sort of adapt to that change? I think that the biggest key thing was really sitting down with the team and, and, ex- and showing them how this actually enabled them. Okay. So I think a lot of infrastructure operation teams get run from the top down. Okay. And, and a good example of this is so the CIO in this scenario was very pro agile methodologies and really was pushing this to happen. Okay. The director who was my boss between me and him and I, he was not for this. So he was actually my direct boss was my biggest. I'm not going to say opponent, but he was, the, he was the most pessimistic that this would work out. Right. So in reality, I actually had less trouble with the individual team members because once you sit down and explain, it's like, look, listen, instead of handing you a large project and a project manager, which is going to give you, assign you a task, what we're going to do is we're going to take this, this, this huge project. We're going to put all of this in a room, and everybody's going to have a say. Right. And then we're going to talk and communicate <clears throat> with each other, and you're going to know what's going on instead of just being handed a piece of paper. Two right. weeks from now, you're going to get to share your opinion. You're going to get to communicate, and not only that, but we're going to use this to cross-train you. And that's some of these minor tasks. I'm going to have you work with uh, Tim or uh, Justin or one of these guys underneath them to do some of these minor tasks, so you can start to learn and mentor with these guys. And then for the big guys, for those leading edge guys, you talk to them and say, "Listen, so instead of you doing the monotonous tasks here, we're going to use the team members who want to." come up a bit and want to do more to, to get this off their plate. And what we're going to move you more into is what you should be doing, which is architecting, mentoring, designing, and the things that we pay you to do. Right. So really, if, from both perspectives, it's a win-win. It, it's, I like to think about it from an efficiency standpoint, just an infrastructure period. If you've got, let's say, a storage array and you've got EFDs, you've got fiber channel, and you've got SATA, if you've got an ability to directly place the right things on the right disk, or if you design it the right way, you'll get the best efficiency. It's the same way with Scrum with a team. If I can take these complex projects and with the team's own direction and vision and ability to knowledge, have them break it up into I can do this and I can do this and I can do this, and that can be an automated process, it'd be extremely efficient. That's kind of the goal around Scrum and Agile methodologies. Right. So you've got, so you're, so you've got. Biggest, the, I'll, I'll say this. I didn't answer your question. The biggest problem is actually less the team members I found. Yep. When you, when you properly explain it to them, when you actually go down and sit and, and walk them through the story about what this is going to do for them, I think it's much more of an impact to managers like myself in that position, to directors that are used to a different way of controlling and kind of have to let their hands go and trust their team a little bit more. Right. That's one thing you have to do. But the benefit is, is, is it also is going to free them up to get um, – so when you let your hands off it a bit, Scrum gives you a lot more visibility into what's going on though. 
Okay. That's so, the one big benefit. Yeah, and I mean, I, I would guess the you know the big thing if you sort of boil it all down is you've got application teams who are constantly sort of used to change, developing new trains, uh, you know, sort of constantly changing their environment, and you've got infrastructure teams who are basically their goal is to strive for stability, high availability, and you're trying to bring those two worlds together and, and, and trying to convince managers whose who's basically neck is on the line to go, look, I, I need you to basically embrace a little bit of chaos or a little bit of change because the byproduct of this is, is sort of speed, right? If speed and efficiency, and we're going to have to figure out that balance between sort of speed and efficiency and keeping certain things stable. Is that, I mean, was that sort of a big concern of the managers, I would guess? Yeah, it was that... And- you also get guys who who work twenty years doing one thing, sure. and, and it's. I mean, I, I'm guilty of that as well. Whenever I have to try something new, and it's it, you, you resist it, just it's part of human nature. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I think I think that can play a big part. It, it's really funny for even for the development side, switching from a more team-driven Scrum process is always going to be a large flip. And DevOps in itself is operates a little higher in theory, and it's more about the cross communication. For us, in my experience, it was. By going to Agile methodology in Scrum and by kind of doing that painful flip, all of a sudden the DevOps theory became reachable in a way. Okay. It, it actually started to happen on its own because once you were able to start mixing the teams, yep. when you're able to have guys sit down who never understood what a developer goes through in a release process, who had no idea what they really deal with and understand their pain, and all of a sudden they sit there in the meeting and plan that out with them, I mean, maybe they're maybe they're what we call the chicken, right? Yep. So. A chicken is you get the story is in breakfast a pig a pig's committed but a chicken just applies the egg right a chicken's not life isn't on the line right so a chicken at a scrum meeting is a person who you're in the room but you've got nothing at stake here you know if something goes gotcha. horribly wrong you can walk out of this room and you're fine so even if they were just a chicken in the room if they were able to participate and listen and become a part of that process they became more equipped to make better decisions is infrastructure operations. And even better, you, if you spread your team out, we did like a 10 to 15 to 25% dedication to other teams. We found that our team was better. You know, those guys in that one meeting were able to better communicate the vision of that product team to the rest of his team. It was kind of like the bridging the gap. Okay. Actually, that's, so that's interesting. So a couple of points you bring up. One is, in essence, what you're saying is there's, there's sort of the traditional operations that, that a lot of people know they've been doing for years and years. There's this new concept of DevOps, which is pretty different far from sort of traditional. Op- and what you're saying is the reason you guys were able to sort of make progress and get there was you, you kind of introduced this interim Scrum being sort of an interim kind of a combination of agile, a new way of team and partnering and so forth. And, and by getting there, it lets you see what DevOps really could be and where that value could be. People sort of learning both sides of the coin. Is that sort of what you're getting at there? Yeah, I mean, there needs to be a step. For us, it was kind of like virtualization, right? So, you know, every, you're some company out there and you say, hey, virtualization is cool. Virtualization is <clears> cool. Everybody else is doing it. Yep. So, so you do it. And now that you've got a bunch of virtual servers, you're like, cool, we did it. We have fewer serv- fewer physical servers. What's next? Right. And then all of a sudden you start finding out, oh, wait a second, I can automate now? Oh, I can change my release processes? You get over the hill of adoption, that first stage of the journey, as, as they like to put in the PowerPoint slides, and then all of a sudden you realize all these other benefits you, you didn't quite grasp before, but all of a sudden you just to see it. It was like that for us. We moved from old-style operations to more of an ag- agile methodology, and then all of a sudden we realized, wait, there's a lot of other benefits to this, yep. and, and there's a little more creativity than things we could do. Okay, cool. Yeah, the other thing you, you pointed out, we had Christian Riley on last week, and he was talking about sort of his evolution of building a private cloud. And, and one of the biggest things he pointed out was you've got to have the IT teams, the development teams sort of being, I don't know what's the, the best word, basically out 
talking to the businesses, helping the businesses yeah. understand what they could do, kind of listening to their... So you become this intermediary, and unless you start opening up the teams to understand that process, they can't really have those conversations. They don't really get between the business need and, and the technology capability. So it sounds like that was another one of those areas you guys found. You basically enabled your guys to be part of the process, and that drove things to be a little more successful. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and going off on a little bit of a tangent, I'm a big, big fan and a proponent. It's one of the points in my blog, and I strongly believe that a lot of infrastructure people really need to get out of their comfort zone a bit and really explore development theories <clears throat> and APIs, SDKs, really kind of get out of their box on that I get shipped a piece of equipment with a, with a manual, and a very complex manual, granted, yep. and, and I figure out how to design what's given to me and get out of that and say, well, wait a second, let me think outside the box and see what else I can do. I think virtualization with the logical abstraction of all these physical things is almost going to become a requirement for an infrastructure person to become effective to understand what that means. You don't necessarily have to be able to code incredible things, but to get to a point where you understand how this changes the game and understanding the opportunities, I think that's going to be an incredibly important aspect and skill set in an infrastructure person, an operations person, uh, down the road even today. So that's a good transition. I mean, like I mentioned early on, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was we talked a little bit about you're putting this to use in real life in your in your previous job. You know, one of the things, whenever I go talk to, to people at trade shows, I talk to customers in, in engagements is we'll talk to their IT teams and we, we start talking about this transition to skills, learning virtualization, storage and networking guys starting to talk the same languages, you know, understanding what the apps guys do. You're a very curious guy. You, you've been able to sort of play in a lot of different domains. How do you keep up with that? What sort of tricks and tips have you used to learn new areas? You know, you, you obviously started somewhere, but you're learning new areas. Is it just sort of natural curiosity? Or are you finding certain ways for you to learn work better or certain resources help you work better? That's an interesting question. I don't know if I have a definitive answer on that one, actually. I can tell you what. I found that my niche in, in exploring technology is is driven, like you said, around you know curiosity. For me, I look at... For the minute I, I, I discovered virtualization many years ago, I found it fascinating because all of a sudden I, I started thinking about all the things you could do that would be completely different. And I'm driven a lot by creativity and not not necessarily in an effective way. A good example is my Xbox Connect thing. It, it looks cool, but it's completely useless in any environment. It's not going to be a product. <laughs> and I get, I get questions about, are you going to develop it and release it? And the answer is no, because this is not something that – the point of it is not that someone uses it. The point was I, I did it to – to just make people think differently. Yep. And, and it was a week of solid, probably 30 hours of, of work that week after my work hours to get that accomplished. But the reason I was even able to do that was because I was driven by the creativity just to, did that whole question, can it be done? And that's kind of how I work is, is, is I, I'm in a restaurant with my family or I'm out in the soccer field with my kids or I'm anywhere and all of a sudden just some idea comes to me and yep. then I, I write that idea down and I say, I'm going to see if that's possible. And sometimes that's a matter of just reading something. Sometimes that's coding. Sometimes that's calling someone and asking questions. Yep. But I think, I think, in my mind, virtualization has bridged a gap here for us. We've to a point now where IT has, has jumped another layer into a logical model, and development in itself, languages and toolkits and things have become so high level and accessible as opposed to the old days when you had to really know your C++ really well to do any, any good right. or have any kind of speed, that I think it, it's a real kind of sweet spot right now in that you can really there's, – there's a million ideas no one's ever thought of. Sure. Like it's so new and it's so fresh and there's so much to do and it's just this big, large 
mound of clay, and there's a million good ideas. And I think right now is a great opportunity for people to look at it and try to think of something original, think of something new. But better than that, try to do it, right? Start yeah. reading, start exploring. I used to do a lot of scripting classes and programming classes to my infrastructure guys in my previous position. And it was amazing the response I got when I did those. The whole team would show up, and there, there was a hunger to learn. And I think, I think it's there inside the operations and infrastructure shops. They're, they're curious. You know, they kind of took a different career path, but they're curious about how they can start moving into these development things because development is all about creativity. Right. It's about creativity and, and business owners when you get the job done, but creativity is in there also. And so, basic, so basically what you're saying is like these guys – it was always sort of looked at as something that you know they knew was sort of helpful for them. They didn't necessarily know where to get started. And, and, and kind of what you're getting at is, you know, there's a lot of sort of easy. I don't want to say easy, but uh, there's there's places out there where you can kind of get started where it's not you know a huge huge investment. It's not a scary thing. There's you know, right, yeah, okay, exactly, very very cool. Do you like if you were if you were to go talk to somebody today and they were to go, okay, I'm hearing about APIs all the time and I'm hearing what cool things they could do. Is there a you know, are there certain like languages? Are there certain programming models? Are there certain things that you might recommend somebody just want to start dipping their toes in the water to learn this stuff? I think if you have no development experience whatsoever, I think one of the greatest things you can do right off the bat is really explore the Power CLI and PowerShell stuff with VMware. Okay. It's a great place to start because it, there's there's so many great blogs. I don't know if and. and Clint on my team is a great example of a guy who's done some incredible things with it. But you can you can really get in and start to benefit from learning how to express your creativity through automation and stuff like that. And PowerShell is a great place to start if you've got no real hardcore scripting experience or okay. um, development experience. Okay. After that, looking at the Java or the uh, C Sharp SDK hooks into the Vim API for vSphere okay. is, a, is kind of what I would say would be the next step. Okay. And the reason that's another good step is because the VMware communities has a huge wealth of samples and guidance. There's guys on there that will answer your questions and help you. Those would be the, the kind of the first tier is, you know, I would look at PowerCLI and PowerShell. Yep. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking from a cloud virtualization perspective, right. not necessarily just from if I want to start doing development. Okay. So maybe start, start looking at the PowerShell, start looking at PowerCLI, grab as many sort of virtual appliances as you can find that you can run on your, on your laptop or your Mac and, you know, sort of be able to build little environments without a whole lot of hardware and investment. Is that, I would guess that's got to help as well. So I do a lot of my projects on a single, single workstation. Okay. I, I have VMware workstation on my, um, I call my Uber workstation that, uh, I run a virtual ESX host on top of, and I do from it almost 99% of my development just on that. So you don't have to have a massive lab with tons of kit, you know, sitting around and spend a bunch of money and have a lot of power consumption. You can do a lot just on a single laptop or a single workstation. Very cool. Well, Nick, I appreciate it. I'm gonna, we're going to sort of cut that one off here. Hopefully we can get you back on to talk about some of the other very, very cool things that you've been working on. You've been working on you know, mutating virtual machines and, and what that might mean in a very rapid, rapidly changing environment. Uh, you did this very cool thing with Connect where you're basically showing kind of visualizing what virtualized uh, environments look like and how you can have human interaction with that. Where can people, if they want to go learn more about the cool things that you're doing, kind of see some of the projects, maybe figure out some of the steps you've been through, where can they find you on the internet, on your blog, on the web? So my blog is nickopedia.com. That's N-I-C-K-A-P-E-D-I-A.com. You can find me, uh, most of my articles, my downloads there. I am on Twitter. It's linksbat, L-Y-N-X-B-A-T, on Twitter. An easy way to reach me. Very cool. Those are the two primary ways to reach me. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, man, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. This has been good. My hope was that we'd be able to help folks understand, especially kind of infrastructure-centric people understand that this is a big trend that's coming along. It's something that help a can help their career just from a skill set perspective b can help their companies and i think you did a really good job of helping people understand that there's both so a little bit of technology there's easy ways to get started but more so there's there's some steps they can take to help their company so thank you very much i really appreciate it and i hope to have you back on soon thank you for having me on all right thanks nick big thanks to nick and that's it for this week Follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet, or you can reach us at thecloudcast.net, where you'll find links to the show and show notes. Leave us a comment or send us an email. How to stream us on Stitcher? And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks again. Thanks again.